Hey there, podcast listeners, and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Antarctic Sun podcast, a new series about science from the bottom of the world, supported by the National Science Foundation. I'm Mike Lucibella. Antarctica and the waters surrounding it are amazing and complex places. They're at the vanguard of climate change, and I wanted to start out this new podcast with a look at how the region never ceases to surprise us. Research released last year showed that the Southern Ocean surrounding Antarctica is bucking predictions and absorbing more carbon dioxide out of the air than expected. Two papers published in early September last year helped clear up exactly what happens to carbon dioxide after it's released into the atmosphere. We're ultimately concerned with the ocean's role in the global carbon cycle. This is Nicole Levandusky, an assistant professor at the Institute of Arctic and Alpine Research at the University of Colorado Boulder and co-author of the paper that appeared in Geophysical Research Letters. So how much carbon dioxide does the ocean take out of the atmosphere every year, and how does that change with time? Um, because, And that's important, because if there's more in the ocean, then there's less in the atmosphere, and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere is a greenhouse gas and can lead to global warming. We all know that excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere helps trap in heat, contributing to global warming. And though overall CO2 levels are growing, Carbon dioxide is not a static gas. There's always some flowing in and out of our atmosphere, varying how much is in our air at any time. If you consider all of the carbon dioxide that we've emitted into the atmosphere by burning of fossil fuels, only about half of that has stayed in the atmosphere, and the other half has gone into the ocean and into the terrestrial biosphere, into the above-ground biomass and into the, the soil carbon pool. Her research focuses on one particular really important ocean, the Southern Ocean, which surrounds Antarctica. So of the fraction that's gone into the ocean, which is already large, about 40% of it has gone into the Southern Ocean. So the Southern Ocean is a really important regulator for the atmospheric carbon dioxide concentration. And it helps to absorb a lot of those anthropogenic emissions of carbon due to the burning of fossil fuels. This tendency for the Southern Ocean to pull carbon dioxide out of the air makes it a carbon sink. Now, results show that the ocean seems to have reversed a troubling trend. For years, scientists had thought the ocean was getting saturated and losing its ability to absorb carbon dioxide. There were numerous modeling studies that came out um, over the last decade or so, which suggested, and, and I want to emphasize that these are primarily modeling studies, um, which suggested that the Southern Ocean carbon sink had been weakening over time relative to what we would expect based on the growth rate of atmospheric CO2. Um, and uh, these researchers also concluded in their studies that uh, this is an ongoing process, so in uh, the future that uh, the Southern Ocean would still, um, so that this, basically this saturation would go on. This is Peter Lanschutze, a postdoc at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. He's the lead author of another paper published in Science looking at the Southern Ocean's absorption of CO2. And we found that basically these uh, previous researchers were, were right in the, in, in the sense that the Southern Ocean carbon sink did not increase. But what we found over the last decade is that this trend reversed. So we found actually an anomalous, uh, strong uptake of carbon dioxide by the Southern Ocean. It seems that the ocean swings between periods of amplified and dwindling CO2 absorption. It's surprising the variability of this, this sink, which is one of the most important sinks of carbon dioxide you know, on the planet, has a lot of variability. This is David Monroe, a research associate at the Institute of Arctic and Alpine Research at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And he worked with Levandusky on the paper published in Geophysical Research Letters that essentially took a microscope to the ocean's carbon sink. Each year, the National Science Foundation's Antarctic research vessel, the Lawrence M. Gould, sails across the ocean conducting research and delivering people and supplies to Antarctica. It's going back and forth between South America and the West Antarctic Peninsula about 20 times. That's 20 crossings every year. 
And this is key, because of all the world's oceans, the Southern Ocean is by far the most sparsely sampled. So to take advantage of this research vessel that's already traversing the waters, scientists started mounting devices onto the ship to measure carbon dioxide in the air and in the water while it's at sea. This study is based on carbon measurements that have been made from the Gould that are made on every single crossing. These efforts have paid off. The Drake Passage is now by far the most densely sampled region in the Southern Ocean. And over the years, it's collected an impressive record of carbon in the ocean. The data set represents nearly a million individual observations of this partial pressure of CO2 in the ocean and the atmosphere. It was after crunching the ship's data that it became clear that not only had the sink started to bounce back in about 2002, but also it was now absorbing more carbon dioxide than at any point in its recorded history. At the same time, Lonschultz's team was also looking at a more expansive view of the ocean, beyond just the Drake Passage over the last 13 years. So they actually look at the evolution of the sink for this entire region over a period of three decades. The two studies complement each other. While Monroe's research zeroed in on this one big data set from the Drake Passage, Lonschultz's study also brought in carbon data from many other sources across the vast ocean. However, because the data from these other sources wasn't as dense as from the Gould, Lonschultz had to extrapolate a bit to fill in some gaps, while Monroe's paper was based strictly off the data collected. What these authors do, they don't use any interpolation methods, whereas we do that. So basically, that, so because we're using interpolation methods, we can uh, make a statement about the Southern Ocean as a whole. In effect, because their two results matched, Monroe's study was able to affirm that Lonschultz's model was accurate. The connection is, is sort of a, a positive one because uh, we both actually come to the same conclusion with, with different methods. It's worth just looking at the region where we have the densest coverage of data. So there's just, and just to see what the trends are in this particular region um, without having to use other observations like from satellites such as chlorophyll, things which are, are correlated with carbon measurements, but they don't represent direct measurements of ocean carbon. And it shows that actually um, that our studies agree that the Southern Ocean does take up more carbon or has taken up more carbon basically from over the last decades. The fact that the ocean is pulling more carbon dioxide out of the air has potentially important implications on climate change. Well, generally, if the ocean takes up more CO2 from the atmosphere, then there's going to be less in the atmosphere, fractionally speaking. So the ocean actually absorbs carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and thereby actually slows down the rate of global warming. As I said earlier, the Southern Ocean is particularly important in this regard. 71% of our planet's surface is covered in water, but not all oceans absorb carbon the same. So if you think about it that way, that it's 26% of the ocean's surface area, but it represents 40% of the oceanic sink, it's, it's just it's getting more out of the atmosphere per unit area of ocean than the rest of the global oceans considered as a whole. Now, there are a couple of reasons why this particular ocean pulls in so much more carbon than other marine regions. The first has to do with its blustery weather that churns the ocean waters. Strong wind is blowing over the Southern Ocean, and that's upwelling water that hasn't seen the atmosphere for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so when it sees the atmosphere for the first time in a long time, it hasn't seen that anthropogenic signal. So that extra CO2 that we've put into the atmosphere, um, it... It wasn't there when that water sank hundreds of years ago. And so it has to re-equilibrate with the overlying atmosphere. So there's also a solubility effect. The cold water can hold more gas than warm water, just naturally. Um, and so the water down there is, in fact, cold. And so it can hold quite a bit of, of CO2 gas. Now, there's a flip side to all of this carbon working its way into the oceans. 
the uptake of carbon dioxide by the ocean is great for the atmosphere, but it's not particularly good for the ocean um, in the sense that it makes the ocean more acidic, the pH drops, and also the what we call a carbonate ion concentration drops. And a drop in both of those quantities is believed to be in, uh, a stressor on organisms that are attempting to build a shell out of calcium carbonate. So this acidification is not likely to be good for organisms living in the, in the Southern Ocean. These updated estimates indicate that the Southern Ocean is set to pull in about 1.2 billion tons of carbon dioxide per year on average, up from about 0.6 billion tons at its trough in 2002. That sounds a lot, but if you, if you uh, put that in context, if you look, for example, at the uh, global carbon budget, then you will find that this is actually a small fraction compared to, to um, the, the, the amount of CO2 that is emitted from, uh, from humans. Now he's got a point. Though the increase is significant, it's not going to change the course of climate change. According to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, roughly 200 billion tons of carbon dioxide circulates through the plants and animals of planet Earth every year, while humans continue to add about 10 billion tons annually. And though these papers help clarify what's been happening over the last few decades in the Southern Ocean, it makes predictions about the future a little bit murkier. And if we look out toward the future, um, I think that this calls into question what we really what we really can say about the future in terms of Southern Ocean carbon uptake. Because it has been so variable in the past, what can we expect over the coming century in terms of that sink? There's a little bit more unknown about that. You can read Monroe and Lewandowski's research in the September 18th issue of Geophysical Research Papers and Lonschulzer's paper in the September 11th issue of Science. Stay tuned for future Antarctic Sun podcasts. Later this year, I'll be traveling to Antarctica and sending back updates about the latest science and research going on at the bottom of the world. And check out the Antarctic Sun website at www.antarcticsun.usaf.gov for more news and science from the frozen continent. Thanks for listening.